Welcome to Leadership Luminaries from PeopleSmart. PeopleSmart provides innovative learning solutions, both virtual and in-person, to organizations in many countries, cultures, and languages, focusing on leadership and people development in the context of digital transformation, change management, culture change, and the increasing need for emotional intelligence. I'm your host, Michael Banks. This is Leadership Luminaries from PeopleSmart. And my guest today for the second time is Andy Lapata. Andy's recently published two books, The Connected Leader and Just Ask. And today I'll be talking with Andy about his more recent book, Just Ask, which is about why seeking support and asking for help is your greatest strength. Andy is an acclaimed professional relationship strategist with global clients, including PayPal, GlaxoSmithKline and Brother. He's written four books on networking and often quoted in the media, uh, including the Sunday Times, the Financial Times and Inc. magazine. In fact, the Financial Times called Annie one of Europe's leading business networking strategists. And both Forbes.com and The Independent called him a true master of networking. Andy holds the PSAE award for the, uh, which is the UK's top award for excellence in professional speaking. Outside work, Andy is an avid Charlton Athletic Football Club fan, although he describes this as a dubious pleasure. He also loves music. His tastes range from classical to punk, with everything in between, except Coldplay, he stresses. At home, he has a passion for cooking and claims to make a mean chocolate truffle tort. So I'm very pleased to have Andy back on the show. Um, this is the second time I've interviewed him. Prior to this one, it was uh, about his book, Connected Leadership. And uh, it was, it was such, so much fun, so interesting that I thought we'd have Andy back on the show. So without further ado, here we go. Andy, welcome back. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted and privileged to be welcomed back for a second crack at this, Michael. Oh, fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's great. I enjoyed the first time we had a conversation. Um, this is episode two um, of my conversation with Andy Lapata. And um, before we were talking about your book, you know, primarily about your book, Connected Leadership, and what that was all about, building strong professional relationships. Um, today, what I want to get into much more is uh, uh, the content and topics within your other book, Just Ask. And um, so can you, how is it different from connected leadership or is it different much? Yes, I think, I think it, while there, there are overlaps, it's very different. So connected leadership, it might sort of explain, it, it might help if I explain the, uh, how they came about and, and, and sort of the timelines of them. So, so they're my fourth and fifth books. Both of them were published last year. Um, but they weren't written at the same time. So Just Ask is a book that I have been working on. I've really been working on it for five years. Or, or, mm. or it's five years since I started working on it. And it's really a bit of a, a labour of love. And, and it stems from a recognition probably about 2014 when my business was really struggling that I wasn't being honest with my network. And with people that really would help me if I told them that they were asking me how's business and I was saying it's fine when it wasn't. 
And when I recognized that, I wanted to change things, not just for me, but for that community, which was the Professional Speaking Association. So I made a commitment to myself that I would deliver a keynote talk at the PSA convention, the big annual convention, once I had turned things around. And I managed to do that in 2016. That was meant to be the end of the journey. It was actually the beginning because the response was so overwhelming that I realized I had something here that I needed to get out to a wider audience, but I didn't consider I had the expertise in it. And one of the best ways to get expertise is to write a book because you have to do the research. And I've, I interviewed probably around 50 people all over the world, from all over the world over the next couple of years uh, and, and wrote a book and, and the stories in the book, but, but we, were, we were due to publish with one well-known publisher. We didn't really, we fell out over it. We had different um, viewpoints of what it would be. The initial drafts weren't right anyway. Um, but the book that's come out is actually, I think, draft number four. And so it took a long time to get to come to fruition and actually publish, which we did in December of last year. In the meantime, a little thing called a pandemic came along at the uh, beginning or, or in the spring of last year. And, and at the time, I had been, I'd repositioned what I did in, in 2019 away from uh, networking, that, that dirty word networking and into professional relationships. Much of the content initially was the same, but the perspective, the, 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 the positioning would be different. But what happened with that repositioning is that I came up with a number of new concepts and ideas, a number of which we touched on in our last conversation. And with new concepts and ideas, you obviously then have a chance to, to, to or the need to get them out to people. And my initial idea was I, I really want to be able to help people understand how what I do differs from how they've seen me before. And the idea was to write a tips book. So I have a number of tips books, 16 pages, DL, so small envelope format, really quick tips on how to run a mastermind group, how to uh, network in a room with confidence, how to get referrals or how not to get referrals, in fact. Uh, and, and, and building business relationships. So I was going to add to the series with that. And I wrote out 12 uh, section titles. So it was going to be 12 tips. And I showed it to, my, to a mastermind group. And one of the guys in that mastermind group was a very senior leader in corporate executive development. And he took one look at it and he said, you're going to give this away? And it wasn't so much the monetary side that you're going to give this away. It was there's more in here than I'm giving myself credit for. And so I wrote a book instead of a tips book. And it's not a long book. So Just Ask is 50, 60,000 words. Connected Leadership is 25,000. That was nominated for Best Short Book in the Business Book Awards, whereas Just Ask was nominated in a full book category, was a finalist in a full book category. Um, but, yes, yeah, so, so I wrote that book in two weeks. Wow. And it was published within two and a half months from the wow. idea to publishing it. So it's different in terms of timeline and journey. They're also different in terms of content because one is very much here are my ideas on my expertise that I deliver day in and day out around bu building professional relationships to progress your career at an executive level. Whereas the other book, Just Ask, 
is here are other people's stories and my perspective on what they've shared with me, uh, along with the views of experts on questions that I've asked them on the topic of vulnerability and honesty. So there is a little bit of overlap, but they're quite different books, both in form and content, uh, and I think in style as well. Right, and you talk about um, the, the, the questions you ask these people around vulnerability and honesty, is that right? Yeah, so, so if, if you want to think about it this way, the book, the original structure, the one that didn't work, um, I, I split the book into what I call just ask stories and just ask questions. So the just our stories were people's stories. And I got these amazing stories from people all over the world. You know, the ones that made the cut include a former Bronx gang member and right. how she used to use the, all of the persona of the gang member and all of the paraphernalia to hide her insecurities. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, the story of a Premier, former Premier League footballer um, start the, the section with him scoring the winning goal against Manchester United in the Premier League, but going home that night and being lonely and not having anyone to share it with. And he actually ends up um, trying to take his own life. He's an uh, ex-Palace player, an ex-Charlton player, Leon McKenzie. Um, and he was at Charlton when that happened. So I've got Leon's story. I've got a, a former world boxing champion who, after he lost his title, went off the rails for two years and how he pulled himself back through. Um, the ones that didn't make the cut, you know, I, I, I interviewed a guy. It wasn't quite right for the book, um, but I interv interviewed a guy who was arrested on terrorism charges, shackled, became Britain's longest prisoner held without charge, wow. was shackled up and sent off to a high sec maximum security jail in America with Abu Hamza, and it, and it was... He, he he was let loose by the courts. He, he, he hadn't done anything. Um, it was, you know, a, a couple of contributions going back years um, to Afghanistan at a time when the West was supporting uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, it, it was a fascinating story. It wasn't quite right for the book. So, so, but you have those just ask stories. Then you have the just ask questions. So... Uh, you know, are there cultural differences in the way that we approach vulnerability and asking for help? Are there generational differences? I interviewed my niece, who was 21, 22 at the time, and, and doing a university project on, it was her generation the loneliest generation? Uh, there's a chapter on, do we allow our politicians to be vulnerable? Uh, we look at uh, gender differences as well. So, uh, uh, and, and then there's a whole section on organizational vulnerability. So how can leaders and organizations be more vulnerable? Um, and how do you create that right space for, for people, but very much more business focused perspective. And there's there's section on use of social media as an obvious example as well. Well, uh, let me ask you a very simple question. Why is, and let's sort of, you know, focus on leadership here as well in particular and in the, the business organizational world. Um, not just focus on that because you know it's important to see the whole picture if you're a, if you're in life doing business. Um, but why why is vulnerability so important nowadays, and why is it such a hot topic as well relative to sort of the the ideal leader of the now and the the future? I think 
I think there's two things there. One is, it why is it so important? Nowadays, it's always been important. It's not always been recognised as important. The culture hasn't allowed it. So in the, in the 80s, you had Gordon Gekko and Wall Street. You had Margaret Thatcher, the ladies not for turning. Uh, you had Ronald Reagan, the cowboy. And we had a macho alpha male uh, culture in the Western in Western society. You know, I'm I'm, I'm speaking from a Western perspective yeah, here. Sure. Um, I do look at cultural differences in the book. I, I couldn't talk from an Eastern perspective in terms of that time, that period. But but mm. from from the world I I've grown up in, I think that has changed. This goes to to so I would say it's always been important, but not recognised as such. So we've grown up being taught to hide our weaknesses, show our strengths, dog eat dog. Uh, and so forth so that's done a lot of damage to people over the, over the years what's happened is a combination of things we share more through social media so we have a more of a sharing culture um you know i was having a conversation with with someone yesterday over lunch um about this wave of incel attacks the involuntary celibate attacks uh, and i was i was talking about not condoning it in the slightest what's going on, but understanding where it's coming from uh, and just trying to get behind that. And, and imagine you're a 22 year old uh, male who suffered rejection after rejection, after rejection, after rejection, you're still a virgin at that stage. Um, and my, my lunch partner said, yeah, in the past, you wouldn't know that that person was still a virgin, but with social media, it's much more prevalent as, as is the sharing. So therefore, and that's just one example, and it's, I'm just using that as an illustration of yeah. how we know more about each other's lives now than we did when, when you and I grew up. Um, so that means that it's harder to create that. that it, there's a more of a drive towards social perfectionism than there's ever been, and I talk about that in Just Ask. Uh, but equally, it's, there's so many more facets where you've got to be perfect that it's harder and harder to do that which puts more and more pressure on us so i think we're feeling the pressure of the need to be perfect more than we ever have we've got more channels through which to share uh, and then the other factors and, and i don't know if it was triggered by brene brown but certainly brene brown in, initially popularized this idea that it's okay to be vulnerable and then you have uh sportsmen and women uh, actors politicians, people in the public sphere, right the way in this country up to up to Prince William and Prince Harry. In America, you've 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 had Obama's, the Obamas speak up, opening up about what they've been going through. So we 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 have the the influencers in our community, instead of being the Gordon Geckos and Margaret Thatchers, are becoming the Prince Harry's and the Obamas. Now, there is a pushback against that, but we're having the debate now and there is more of a conversation about being open and vulnerable. Yeah, see, when thank you. I mean, the, for me, what's uh, getting down to the nitty gritty of, uh, say, the business world and leadership and teams and collaboration in this current environment, which is... Uh, sort of generates a lot of fear, uh, insecurity, um, and 
anxiety about uh, life because of the health crisis. In that scenario, um, do you not think that uh, being vulnerable as, uh, we, and another way of saying that is being human, being fully human, uh, is, is, it gives, if you're a leader, gives the people that you're leading um, a sense of security that it's okay to be, it's okay to show your vulnerability, you know? And in fact, and then that's so helpful if people are able to do that, because otherwise they're actually going to spend more time and energy and get more stressed out by trying to hide it. Absolutely. And this is, um, this has become, I, I think, the topic of a lot of my conversations now, and I'm now working on uh, a new workshop and keynote on vulnerable leadership mm. uh, because Again, people are starting to accept it more, but I question whether the leaders at the top are or, or enough of them. You, you only have to see comments from leaders at Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan in, in recent months or recent weeks about remote working. You know, things like um, we'll, we'll, we'll snuff out this conversation really quickly, that type of thing. If you want to earn New York wages, you've got to work, work in New York. Um, these sort of quotes show there's still a lot of work to do. Um, I, I ran a session for a group of senior executives recently uh, on vulnerable leadership, and everyone was nodding their heads along and agreeing with the need for it. And, and it, was, it was an interactive session. They were, they were engaging very strongly in the session. But someone very experienced in this space emailed me after, and, he said, and they said, I've never seen a group of uh, leaders who just were so resistant to being vulnerable. Uh, so I think there is a disconnect perhaps between the cerebral acknowledgement mm. of the need to do so and the, the courage it takes yes. to be vulnerable. Yeah. And, you know, your point about why leaders need to be vulnerable is key. So going back to the, the gecko Thatcher axis of, dog eat dog strength mm. you know wins out that's the image of a leader who needs to be seen to be strong uh who needs to be seen to be resilient and who needs to be seen to make decisions now my argument is that vulnerability is a strength because you come to better decisions with the help of other people and you get that that help by being vulnerable and yeah. By coming to better decisions, you are stronger. And also it takes courage to say you don't know everything. And that makes you strong. Uh, resilience. Now, I, I think resilience is very easy to misunderstand because we, it's easy to think of resilience as toughing it out, getting through it. But surely it's easier to get through challenges with other people guiding you through the path. And you need to be vulnerable to do that. So being vulnerable makes you resilient. And in terms of being a leader making decisions, no one expects or wants their leader to have all the answers. Right. If I'm being led by someone, if I'm on your team, I want you to respect me. I want you to involve me. I want you to, to value my input. The leader's job is to find the answers, not have the answers. And then once they, once they have found different ideas, different solutions, different perspectives, the leader's job is to make the final decision and to adjudicate where there is conflict in terms of the, the route forward. 
their their job isn't to know their job is to research yep. and decide so all of those things involve vulnerability yeah so you can be a uh, you can be a leader who is strong who is resilient and who 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 makes clear decisions and be vulnerable at the same time and that's what we need to understand absolutely and i remember last time in our last conversation uh, i think you talked about the the fact that um, it takes a lot of that, that often leaders are kind of lonely um, and yeah. the, and the, they they try and tough it out on their own because they've got this idea that they should be this this uh, all knowing problem solver um, and the courage that you talk about is crucial, isn't it? I mean, it's having the courage to to reach out for help. I mean, what I loved about the concept of your book, Just Ask, it reminded me of my own life when I was I had kidney failure. And I the only way that I could get a transplant in America, because I didn't have health insurance, um, was to raise money because they... Um, they said that we'll, we'll cover your costs. Uh, the, the 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 national insurance will cover your costs, but you have to cover all the costs from the moment that you've had the transplant, all the recuperation costs, and all blah blah blah. And they said if you can't prove you can do that, you, we can't go ahead. So I had to reach. Out, I had to raise sixty five thousand dollars, and the astonishing thing was is that i did i actually raised more than that and there were about at least 150 people who said yes when i asked them please can you help me and these were people who um some of whom i hadn't spoken to for years for decades um some of them were people who really couldn't afford to donate any money uh, but what the, the point of my saying this is that um it took me it was it took I had no alternative really but nevertheless it took took me a lot of courage to actually reach out to all these people Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable to say look I need money please help me (laughs) I mean and 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 you got it and I think that we 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 assume and and I, I always think there are three reasons why we don't ask for help and the third one that I talk about is assumption we assume that people can't or don't want to help us yeah it's not for us to assume. Yeah. It's for us to make it okay for people to say no. Yes. That's the key. Yeah. And, and, and when I say okay, for, make it okay for people to say no, I mean make it okay for them. So we communicate to them, look, I really need help with this, but I understand if you're not in a position to do so at the moment. If you are, and normally if you use that example of asking for money, people say, look, even if it's a fiver, that would all help. So you're not saying I want a thousand dollars or whatever it might be, but you make it okay for them, but you also make it okay for yourself. And it would be very easy again, if we take the scenario you, you, you shared, but if someone said, no, I can't for you to take that personally, particularly in such a personal, um, you know, scenario. Um, But there may be many reasons why people would say no. Yeah. And if you're asking the right people and you're presenting the request in the right way so they understand it and it's easy for them, then if the relationship is strong enough, understand that you're not top of that list for why they're saying no. It can be as much, if not more, about them than it is about you. 
I've I've got a very good friend who's a very successful author and speaker. And a few years ago, I said, would you mentor me? And he said, no. He said, I'll tell you what, Andy, he said, come on my, my two-day workshop. I'll, get, I'll gift you a place on that. Now, he has been my mentor for the last several years. I've just not formalized it with him. But he's been a tremendous supporter of me. But he didn't have the time and the headspace to, to enter into a formal mentoring relationship. He does not begrudge the support he's given me. In fact, you know, at, at one point, he was in a position to help me with two or three intros at a similar time. And when I asked him for one, I said, by the way, I, I straight away, I followed up with a voice message and said, by the way, if I'm asking too much, please let me know. Uh, and he's absolutely fine to say no. And he responded and said, I really appreciate you saying that, but I'm delighted to help you. That's what I mean by making it okay for them. Yes, I think that's crucial. Um, but but yeah, but he but 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 the, the the key point of that is that he said no because he didn't have the time. And I could have got really offended by mm. him saying no to my request. And if I had, I wouldn't have been asking him for all that support over the years that he's been more than happy to give. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I really recognize what you're saying. Because I was in the situation back then when some people did say no. <laughs> Either by and not. How did responding. you respond to it? Well, it was interesting. How did I had you respond to, to it? I, I, I looked at my own, uh, how I received the, uh, the no. And of course, my knee jerk reaction was to, in some cases, go, What? what? You're a bloody millionaire. What are you? T- you can't even spare a hundred bucks. But, uh, but I actually caught myself in those situations and, and coached myself not to take it personally because of what you were saying just now. You know, that it's, you know, I shouldn't assume. No one should assume. And that people have their reasons. But it is most important to give people an opportunity to say no. Um, so, yeah. Um, going back to... Um, the cultural differences as well. Um, from earlier in our conversation just now, I remember working with a, the former head of the Bank of Tokyo, who became the CEO of American Express in Japan. Um, so he was the Japanese CEO for American Express. And it, I don't know if you know this, you probably do, but in Japan, if a man is showing uh, emotion and vulnerability, it's considered a massive strength. In fact, it's okay to cry. And indeed, we yeah. after, after a team session, the executive team, we went out, did some karaoke, and there he was, like 65 years old, this mega successful career, top guy, and he had tears rolling down his face because of this very emotional song that was in front of his executive team. You know, and what a contrast to the Gordon Geckos of this world. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you say that because in the paper today, um, I think, actually, I'm not sure if it was in the paper today or, or, or I read it in the week today, um, but in Japan, there have been um, a lot of the, uh, the, the silver and bronze medalists at the Olympics 
have publicly apologized in tears for their failure. Now, I recorded a podcast interview yesterday where my host was railing against um, this culture of if you don't get a gold, you're a failure. But in Japan, they are apologizing for their failure, for letting people down. A, a top wrestler, um, I think it was, uh, has been on public TV in tears. Um, and so I think what drives that culture that you're talking about is is one of the, the I studied Japanese society as part of my degree as one module and I, you know many years ago so I'm not professing to be an expert by any stretch of the imagination but one of the important facets in in Japanese culture is humility and and not being driven by ego being part of the community and I think that's what's driving what you're seeing what I've also understood from conversations with people I haven't been to Japan unfortunately um, but conversations with people about J Japanese culture which has always fascinated me is when you're in business meetings everything will be very uh, po-faced if you like very you know, um, there'll be a mask there will be invulnerability within that meeting but when you then go out after the meeting then guards come down and actually that's when they'll get to know you and if they want to do business with you they want to see how you respond in that social environment um, so i think it's a very complex and a very fascinating uh culture but in terms of what you're talking about there's a lot going on there mm. uh, and i've probably uh, any experts on japan are probably screaming at their uh their iPhones or whatever they're listening on now. Um, everything I'm getting really wrong in terms of Japanese culture, but hopefully that, you know, that will be my perspective on what you shared. Yeah, great. So tell me about, uh, in, in Just Ask, um, what are the other, you've talked about uh, vulnerability, what are the other uh, areas that you cover in the book and that are relevant to, to the you know, leadership as it, as it stands now? Well, really, we're talking about vulnerability, openness, and transparency. Okay. So it's about being able to admit that you're you're wrong. It's very easy to lapse into the conversation about vulnerability and focus purely on that. But when you hear the term vulnerability, you're going to be thinking of um, people saying, um, "I'm struggling, mental health issues, and so forth." This it doesn't have to be that extreme. It can simply be, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. I'm not sure of the best approach. I talk, there's a chapter on mentoring. There's a chapter on masterminding. So from a business perspective, particularly, it's about finding solutions with the help of other people rather than doing it for yourself. Uh, I talk about cognitive diversity. In fact, I think this is one of the overlaps between two book, the two books because I talk about Matthew Syed's book, Rebel yeah. Ideas, and um, how he, uh, you know, where he talks about the importance of cognitive diversity, having different people giving you uh, input so you've got different perspectives. Uh, so, so it's not simply about uh, supporting you through difficult times, avoiding mental health issues, avoiding physical health issues that are associated um, with, with stress and, and challenges. It, it's about being the best you can possibly be in your role, in your career, and in your life. Never said it like that. I quite like the ring of that. Um, 
but but to be the best you you need to do it with the help of other people so actually it's it's interesting because my 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 experience my expertise is around professional relationships this book and this is where the challenge i think lay with the publisher i i realized there was a a broader perspective this book needed to take. I couldn't make it purely about professional environment. I think this conversation on vulnerable leadership, that sits purely in the professional environment. But there are a lot of professionals who need to recognise as an individual that they can they can admit they don't know the answers, they can ask for help. Um, but yeah, it, it is, I, I think vulnerability may be a bit misleading. It is about being transparent, being open, not with everyone. It's not about walking down the street and saying, I don't know this, <laughs> can you help me? And so on. And, and there are times when people, you know, I, I, I talk in the keynote talk and in the book, I talk about how we always respond to how are you by saying, I'm fine. How's work? It's, it's great. How's business going well, even if it's not. And that was my, you know, my moment when I had my epiphany that, that things needed to change. Um, but there are many times, probably more than, there are probably more, more times you would say that than you wouldn't because people are asking out of courtesy or your relationship with them isn't such that you want to open up yeah. or that they want to hear you open up. So it's not, it's not a manifesto to get everyone to be honest in every conversation. I'm not saying I want you to lie in every conversation. It's about surrounding yourself with people you trust and, and having, the, having the people who will support you in your life and mm. the right people in your life, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, and then everything else that stems from that. That's brilliant. I actually, um, as you're talking, you prompted me to think about um, how, you know, and, and this is, as people who know me, know that my big shtick is also authenticity. And, yeah. um, you know, and I also talk about how that also is not about, authenticity is not feeling angry, going into room and being angry. <laughs> Just, you know, oh, I'm being authentic because I'm, I'm angry, so I'm going to be angry. <laughs> you know, that's not, that doesn't work. Uh, so you have to be I, 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 choices. I didn't do a word search on it, but I think, and I say this in the book, authenticity uh, probably came up more times in the interviews than any other word. Yeah. And I'm like you, I'm a great believer in the power of authenticity and the importance of authenticity yeah. as well, particularly in the modern day and age. Social media, you could, yeah. it's so hard to, to have two personas, a professional and a personal. You have to be authentic. Yeah. I think vulnerability honesty, openness and authenticity are, well, I can't say different sides of the same coin because that would be a four-sided coin. But <laughs> let's find two more, it'd be different sides of the same die. <laughs> yeah, but the, it, why I can make the connection with authenticity as well is that, um, in, in, you know, I have a talk that's sort of, uh, I've written about skillful authenticity. It's something you can practice and get better at. Yeah. Uh, similarly, yeah. you know, I, I realize now that um, the willingness and the uh, having the courage to be vulnerable and to be honest and transparent is leads to freedom 
it's a sense of freedom in oneself that you're being true to yourself. And it's a relief that you don't have to, to, to be fake when you're honest. And mm -hmm. I, I know that when I was younger, I was scared often to be honest about all kinds of stuff, even in a relationship. You know, in relationships I had. Especially in whatever, a relationship. Especially in a relationship, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, I can't say that. You know, I'm, I'm going it, to, it'll blow it. Um, but no, but, but what I've found, um, Andy, is that the more you take a risk, the more you're willing to do that, the more this, it's sort of built on itself in a positive way, the more you feel good about yourself and the more you're then free to do more of it. So, yeah, you know I, I think anyone listening to this, anyone listening to this will, will have experienced the sensation of unburdening themselves and how that feels physically. You know, when you've been holding something in, I had um, got a very, very close friend, one of my best friends, and we had a slight falling out about four years ago. And we had dinner to clear the air, but at that dinner, she laid into me, having got me to say what was bothering me. And look, please tell me, I won't judge it. And then she started saying everything that was wrong to me. And I was like, I can't trust her anymore. And so, and I didn't want to end the friendship, but I didn't feel I had that trust. So the last four years, I've been keeping the friendship at arm's length. And she's, I know she's been trying, but I've not had that trust. We had a very emotional conversation at the weekend. Uh, and we cleared the air, we cleared the way. And it was, it was the right timing. It was the right moment. Um, but... I think both of us have felt since then a huge weight, a huge burden off of our shoulders. And that's the thing. You know, we've both been carrying it around for four years. She's not been knowing what's going on. And I know I'm guilty of that. And I've known all along, but not known quite how to deal with it. I felt guilty, but I felt it was, I was doing what was right for me, but I felt bad about it. And I missed the friendship. And just by having that really open and honest conversation, the way ahead is clear. And I think everyone listening to this will have had an experience like that, whether it's uh, a problem with a work colleague or a, a problem with their boss and uh, they've sat down and they've, they've been able to vent, whether it's a, a problem in, in, in the home, marriage, um, and they've been able to talk about it, whatever it might be, if they have kids and they felt that kid's not talking to them and then the kids spoken up all these things happen across our lives in our personal and our professional lives and everyone listening would have experienced that i'm sure and know the physical manifestation the positive physical manifestation that comes from unburdening so we you know i talk a lot about how when we don't let people help us how that hurts them but we are also hurting ourselves and I think for both parties, if you think, if you clench your fist as tight as you can for 30 seconds and then let go, for both parties, that's the feeling. You know, that's, uh, that's great. A great insight that uh, if you don't let people help you, you're hurting them and you're hurting yourself. Absolutely. Um, and I'd add to that is one of the things that uh, I would say is that people, generally speaking, the vast majority, want to help. If someone asks you or me or anyone listening to this, can you help me? 
usually the impulse is sure if i can i will and we but we, we are scared that we're, gonna, that we're gonna get rejected yeah. it's more than that actually you feel flattered that people would want yeah. your help you feel valued yeah and yeah. and so I mentioned earlier that I thought there were three reasons we don't ask for help, and yeah. and I said that the third one was was assumption, yeah. and and, uh, and and earlier than that I think I talked when I was talking about vulnerable leadership I talked about seeing um, being vulnerable as being weak. That's the first reason, and the middle one, the second one, is we don't want to be a burden to other people. It's what you're talking about now. We don't ask for help because we don't want to be a burden. Now. When I, I talk about this to audiences, so let's take the um, let's let's take a conference, mm. and say there's 200 people in the room. I will ask people. I'll share that that I you know that idea that philosophy that we don't ask because we don't want to be a burden to others. I see people nodding along with that invariably. I will then ask people to put their hands up if they have helped someone recently, personal or professional. And people put their hands up. And I, I say, by the way, if you haven't put your hand up, that's where you start after today. Um, <laughs> but people put, people put their hands up. I then ask them to keep their hands up if they know that help worked out well. And then I go to individuals and I say, how did that make you feel? And I work my way around the auditorium. How did it make you feel? And the responses are invariably positive. It was great fantastic i got pleasure from it i felt valued i was delighted to help bang 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 and then i point out the disconnect we get a pleasure from helping other people yet we don't ask other people for their help because we don't want to be a burden yeah in fact we're being selfish because we're denying other people the pleasure of helping us absolutely yeah that's There's, yeah so just to extend on that, Michael, because yeah. I think it's a, this is a really important point. It's not a suggestion that you should walk out onto the street and approach strangers and say, I want to give you pleasure. Can you help me? <laughs> that, you know, it, it, it's, it's about there's two key factors that qualify what I've just said. One is they are people who know you, like you and trust you and would get that pleasure from supporting you. That's not to say that total strangers wouldn't, because you can meet someone at a networking event, you can have rapport and click, but I'm, I'm, I'm speaking generally there. And the second is you make it easy for them. So you don't walk up to them and say, I need more business. Do you know anyone who could, you know, give, you know would, would use me? That's not easy for them. That's not a pleasure. But if you're really directed in the help that you need and you know that they're equipped to help you and it's easy for them, then they'll get delight from it. Yeah, gosh, yeah, you, you're triggering so many thoughts uh, in my mind about uh, situations I've been in. Um, so the the summation we're coming to the end here. So the summation of what uh, we've been talking about is is what. <laughs> Let other people help you. Be open. Um, be, be honest, understand the support that you need and understand who you know and who would be happy to help you, who is equipped to do so, and then make it easy for them to be able to, to provide that help. And then, of course, on the flip side, be there for others as well. Uh, the, the, the quote, and I may even have quoted this on the last 
uh, podcast. I, I, I probably do every other podcast I'm, I, I'm a guest on and even on my own every few episodes. Um, my favourite quote is from Elizabeth Asquith Bibesco. She was a daughter of the former British Prime Minister, Lord Asquith, poet and an author. And she said, blessed are they who give without remembering and receive without forgetting. So you should be seeking to support people as much as you can. You should be welcoming their support and acknowledging it all, all, as much as you possibly are able to. Fantastic. That's a beautiful way to uh, summarise uh, what we've been talking about. Thank you, Andy. That's lovely. Um, and just to, so I'll remind listeners that I am Michael Banks, um, and this is a pe people smart a podcast series, Leadership Luminaries, and I am speaking to Andy Lopata, who was described, was it by Forbes magazine? Or was it the time? Well, the, the, the Financial Times, yeah. uh, yes, the, the Financial Times um, uh, called me one of Europe's leading business networking strategists. And then Forbes and the Independent said a true master of networking. A true master of networking, right. Great. Um, well, it's been a total pleasure. Which was very kind of them. <laughs> a very kind of but yeah, but, uh, you know, you, you, um, you know your stuff, absolutely. And, and what I like about your approach, Andy, is that you, you uh, can be humorous about it and everything. And um, you really have gained a lot of wisdom, in my opinion, from having a full life. I mean, I know that you're a, a keen football fan. One thing we haven't mentioned is cookery. And um, yeah. I know that that's something that, of interest to you. Um, how are those chocolate? What is it that you do? Oh, my chocolate truffle torts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yes. I, we, we must have been talking just before I, I was making one for a, a, a party. It, it went there very well. <laughs> oh, it I sounds chocolate incredible. truffle tort and a tiramisu. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I'm just I'm just uh, using that as a cue to talk about my amazing monkfish stir fry that I cooked yesterday. Wow! Yeah, Lovely. it had twenty four ingredients. Twenty four. Twenty four ingredients. I know we counted them up. Uh, what style was it? Kind of a a hybrid Chinese Thai Anglo mix of. You know everything from snow snap peas to snow peas to um, hoisin sauce and fresh fruit juices and there was all kinds of stuff in it chilies, um, but it was uh, and a beautiful monkfish as well which was chopped up and, and fresh ginger and uh, I could go on I won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm 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 making a pork agricole um, this week. And I discovered this recipe recently, and I don't eat much pork, actually. I wasn't brought up eating much pork. Love my bacon, but um, uh, I discovered this recipe recently, and the taste is just sensational. So look it up, pork, pork agricole. A-G-R-I-C-O-L-E? Really I will. You better believe I will. <laughs> <laughs> you know, great. Well, Andy, thanks so much. It's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have. I have always enjoyed this conversation. Two, two really enjoyable uh, chats. So Absolutely. thank you for having me back on. It's been great. Fantastic. You're very welcome. And it's going to be going out in about a month and a half's time. We've got another one scheduled already. Actually, that's the Brentford one. 
that's for three weeks yeah. and then you'd be after that as well so uh yeah, brilliant. well i wish charlton all the best um as long as you, you bless crystal palace <laughs> as well and um I feel bad because we, we have to have a limit on everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, you know, you know, when I make we have these sort of snippety uh, talks about football, I do feel that you know because our audience is international, it's global, and people are thinking, "What the hell are they talking about?" Crystal Palace, Brentford, Charlton, what's that? But uh, apologies, but we have to educate. We, we have to educate, don't we? I'm taking a Portuguese friend. Um, to the Valley on Saturday for Charlton against Wigan. And um, she said, uh, I, I don't know if I'll enjoy it. I said, I, this is last night. I said, I'm watching at the moment. I don't think I'll enjoy it either. <laughs> um, but uh, she said, I have been to football before. She said, I've been to Chelsea and Arsenal. I said, but you haven't been to a proper football match then. <laughs> yeah, that, that reminds me, sorry to prolong this, but uh, that reminds me of when uh, my American friend, Greg, who was, posted as a diplomat to to England with with his wife Kelly and um, so they came over and uh, before they came over uh, Greg said yeah I've been looking into English football um, I think I'm going to support Arsenal because we're going to be near Arsenal Football Club I said no that's a mistake you should be supporting Crystal Palace. <laughs> he, didn't he, better. he didn't know any better. He didn't know any better. So he became a Crystal Palace fan while, while Arsenal was sort of, you know, winning every single game for the whole season yeah. or whatever. But uh, there you go. All right. Lovely to talk to you, Andy. Great and stuff. Uh, we'll be in Great touch. Chat. Yeah, I look forward to listening to listening back to it as well. Okay. And yeah, let me know when that Brentford one's out. I think I'm getting your emails and I think I've subscribed anyway, but I'll look out for that one. Okay, brilliant.